Hello and welcome to the CCF Iowa podcast. You're listening to a message that was part of our Tuesday night worship services that takes place each week on the campuses of University of Northern Iowa, Iowa State University, and the University of Iowa. This year's theme is As You Go. So we'll be taking a look at the book of Acts and we will be exploring how just as God called the early church, he is calling us today to go. And as Jesus ascends into heaven and we're introduced to the Holy Spirit, we're given instructions as we go. So here's a message presented by one of our campus ministers. We're continuing our As You Go series, uh, the series in which we're going through the book of Acts. By this week, we're going to cover the last half of chapter 4, because that's about where we left off, and then the first part of chapter 5, and that's kind of a tricky story there. But first, I want to just kind of go back through where we've been, Um, or at least where we were last week. We saw Peter and John going before the Sanhedrin. They're actually thrown in prison and then put on trial because of the things that they were teaching. And so the question is, how does the church respond? What do the believers do in response to this? And they actually gather together and they have this really cool time of prayer in which they pray for boldness. And not only do they pray for boldness, but they actually just continue to do what they were doing before. And you see, again, uh, these believers doing what people that are filled with the Holy Spirit are supposed to do. And so you'll see a lot of echoes um, from Acts chapter 2, verse 42, in the passage uh, Acts 4, 32 through 35. So let me go ahead and read that for you now. Acts 4, 32 to 35. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need." So again, we see a continuation, kind of a a repetition of the disciples doing what they're supposed to do. Uh, Verses 32 to 35 talks about how they're being together in one heart. They're gathered together in unity and, and they're sharing their possessions and they're selling things so that there is no poor among them. They're supporting one another and they're, and they're giving of themselves. They're sacrificing of themselves. Something they've very directly seen as uh, Jesus example of what they should be doing. And so this is the cool part of acts where we see all these times when the church does what it's supposed to, and then they're faced with persecution. And then so the church responds by doing what it's supposed to, and then they face some persecution. And so you get this back and forth that continues through these next several chapters of Acts as this persecution begins to mount and kind of increases. And, and so we see more and more happening until in a couple of weeks we're going to see the very first martyr that happens in Christianity, a, a guy named Stephen. And we'll learn again about him in about two weeks. Um, but we've seen... These things build up, but this next thing we happen persecution-wise is not really persecution per se. It's, it's, it's more, I'll describe it as a time of difficulty, because what happens is people from within the, their own ranks start having this corruption that happens. Because there's these two people, Ananias and Sapphira, who, who see what's happening with them sharing their possessions and says, well... 
we don't necessarily want to share our, all of our possessions, but we want to make it look like we've been sharing all of our possessions. We want the same kind of acclaim that we think other people have been getting for being so generous and sharing and being such good people, but we also want to keep some of our stuff too. And so they, they come, come up with this um, charade that they're going to present to the disciples, to Peter specifically, and, and we kind of see the aftermath of what happens. So the next part of our text that we're going to listen to now is Acts chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Acts 5, verses 1 to 11. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and died, and great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, and carried him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, and finding her dead, carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who had heard about these events. So this text is one of those that I find to be a really difficult text to talk about. Because you read through it, and maybe the story just kind of hits you, and you're like, that's kind of random. Or, wait, that really happened? It's also one of those texts that I like to point to when people talk about how, like, the Old Testament God is different than the New Testament God. And that, like, the Old Testament God is, like, vengeful and wrathful, and the New Testament God is all loving. And Except you have examples like this in the New Testament, where God, like, you know, kills people for lying. And that seems like a little overboard, a little too extreme, like a that escalated quickly kind of moment. That That is what I think has happened with Ananias and Sapphira. I, I think the more you look at it, the more you're like, this doesn't seem to make sense. This doesn't seem to fit with what I know about God from Scripture. Why would he do this to people who essentially lied? You're like, they misrepresented what they were doing, how generous they were being. They were kind of, uh, Peter calls them out for lying to the Holy Spirit, um, which again, I don't even like, there's a lot of Holy Spirit stuff that I don't feel is very well studied in or experienced in. And so I have a hard time speaking to that. But I think we should just take Peter at his word and say that there's apparently some really serious stuff going on. But is it stuff that's serious enough that it deserves for them to just fall over dead on the spot? Because there are plenty of cases where we find people, or we even know of people, doing some pretty wicked and some pretty evil things, and yet 
no one seems to fall over dead on the spot. It's because there's nobody there with the Holy Spirit in them to call them out on it and like say, no, that's not good, so that they fall over dead. I don't know if that's the case. I don't think Peter's some kind of Holy Spirit enabled hit person, whatever is going on there. FYI, great movie idea. Holy Spirit Hitman. Hold on to that one. Aaron, like, start a script right now. But that's, I don't think that's what's happening here. What's happening here, I mean, yes, people died and they definitely were defying or kind of doing something bad in the face of God and very directly representing themselves as this holy, invested, full-on believer type person when in reality they were trying to also do something for themselves. There's definitely some corruption going on here, some inward corruption of Christians. Um, and FYI, like, I, I think as Christians and as we look more at the modern age and how some people treat and view and use Christianity, that maybe that inward corruption kind of thing should hit a little bit harder than it does. Um, I think it's one of the worst things that happens to our faith is people that misrepresent who God is and through their own lives, through the own fruit that they have, they just say even worse things about Jesus and the gospel than they're saying with their mouths. Um, yeah. But there's also something pretty serious because we kind of seem to have an incident here of God killing someone. Just like straight up killing them. Yeah, we can say that they did something sinful and bad, but like they lied. I've lied before. I'm guessing you've lied before. Lying is one of those things that we just kind of, we ask for repentance for, we receive our forgiveness, we forget about it, it washes away. Like, that's one of the things that we know that Jesus' death has covered. And it's not like these aren't people that can just be forgiven by Jesus and all that stuff, because they're living in the same kind of era that we are, the, the, the post crucifixion resurrection of Jesus era, the Holy Spirit era, where that forgiveness is accessible and it's there and it's something that they could have offered. And and I think that there's even threats in the story from Peter where he's like giving them the opportunity to answer, but they just kind of dig their feet in and say, nope, we're sticking with our plan. We're going to try to defraud the church. Even though they're not really defrauding the church, they're just like keeping some of their money. And instead of giving 100%, they're like, we're just going to give like 80% to the church and keep, 20. I don't know what the percentages are. It doesn't give us that information in the text, but they're just wanting to keep a little bit for themselves and giving some of it, most of it, to the church, something that none of us would have a problem with. It's like they're flipping the tithe and keeping that 10% for themselves. Maybe they kept more, maybe they're only giving 10%. Who knows what the percentages are? Like I said, text doesn't give us that information. But it seems like there were sins that they lied. So this takes me to other stories in scripture because we have times when we've seen God has like isolated on a specific group of people or even a specific person or a specific family and said, nope, we can't have any of this happening here now. You're out of the picture. The story I'm speaking specifically comes from number 16. And it's this really dramatic thing where there's this guy named Korah and he kind of starts to foment this revolution and he's got two other guys that are working with him whose names currently escape my memory. 
but they're kind of organizing people and they're saying, hey, Moses, you're not a very good leader for us. Um, we think maybe one of us should be the leader instead of you. And these are people that are already have been kind of appointed and viewed as leaders within the nation of Israel. But they're not like the big leader like Moses or Aaron or, you know, those kind of important, really important guys. But they say, we don't like your leadership. Like, you've just been leading us wandering around in this desert probably to die. This isn't the way we want things to go. Uh, by the way, this is after the the Israelite spies went and spied on Canaan and, you know, ten, 10 were bad and 2 were good, if you know that song. Um and so there's punishment that happens for that because there's a revolution that like tries to happen and then that peters out because God kills off a bunch of the people that were trying to revolt against him. And then there's this additional, like Moses has appointed leadership still from that group, but he's also said, guys, we're going to wander around for a generation in the desert because you weren't ready to trust God. And so this group of leadership is like, whoa, wait, we don't really like the way Moses is leading. Maybe they were trying to say, we don't want to do this whole wandering around the desert for 40 years. Let's just go and take the land now. Um, but God's like, nope, this is what I've already laid out. I appointed Moses to be the leader. We're just going to wipe you out. And actually Moses intervenes for a second. like, let's not wipe out all like 250 of them that are trying to start this revolution. These are like my top, like good leaders. I don't want to wipe all of them out. And God's like, fine, isolate them out. Everybody like move your tents away and move all your stuff away from these three people that are kind of leading this, this uh, revolution. And then the earth opens up and swallows all of those people as punishment for their revolution. And then all the rest of the people that were kind of part of the revolution were like, holy, probably bleep in that moment. This is crazy. Like, the earth just swallowed up those dudes that were like, we were with, like, we don't know what's going on. Is this what's going to happen if we defy Moses? Like, we should try to, and their solution is like, we should try to overthrow Moses now. And then it talks about how fire comes down from heaven and consumes that 250 guys. And so this revolutionary element is just kind of stopped immediately. The reason it reminds me of that story is because there seems to be these really dramatic things that happen when God's trying to establish something new. And there's something that he really wants to do. So this is right at the beginning of the church forming and happening. And the disciples are trying to do this really awesome thing where they give to the poor and the needy so that there is no poor among them. And they're spreading out their wealth. And they're making sure that everybody gets fed. And they're making sure that everyone's needs are met. And it's this really cool picture of what I believe the church is supposed to look like and the ways that we're supposed to be serving one another and giving generously and doing all those things. And then there's this couple, Ananias and Sapphira who show up and say we want to be like known as those kind of people but we don't want to actually be those kind of people so we're going to like sell our fields and everything like that but we're going to keep some of the money and then we're going to give the rest of the church and say look that was all of our money that we sold for our fields we're just as generous as the rest of you help us join your movement be a part of this thing it'll be really cool it seems like God intervenes in some really dramatic, drastic ways when he's trying to start something new with his people and an element of his people don't want to go along with it. And God brings the hammer down. And that doesn't make me more comfortable with this passage. That doesn't make me more okay with the fact that God, from what I can tell from the text, murdered people. 
but it shows what God is trying to do and how much it's important that, that he wants us to follow the right way. And that's not a good way to rectify this text either. That doesn't make it sit well with me. And, and I want to be honest with you guys. There are parts of the Bible that I'm not sure if I agree with. That if I was in charge, I'm not sure if that's how I would have gone through things. But where I've come to, what I've come to know is that I trust God to have humanity's best interest in heart and mind. And I trust his judgments, even if I don't agree with them. Even if I don't believe that's how I would do things. Because I know a couple things about God. I know that he's all-knowing. So he's got every piece of information you can have. He can see the wickedness and the goodness of men's hearts. And he can know ultimately who, who should stick around and who should not be a part of things. I know another thing about God is that he listens to his people and sometimes in really dramatic, crazy ways that we don't expect. Because the thing about the earth swallowing Korah and, and the, his family and the, the other two leaders of that rebellion and their families and like all of their stuff, by the way, their possessions got swallowed up by the earth too, which is crazy. What happens right before that is Moses says, God has told me that he is still for me and he is still on my side. And he's chosen me to be the leader. And so anyone who's not going to be part of that leadership who's going to be like these three guys and join their re revolution should be swallowed up by the earth just like they're going to, and then that's exactly what happens. It's never stated anywhere in the text before that moment that God's plan is to swallow them up in the earth. God does say, my plans are to destroy them and to make to just shut down their rebellion and their revolution, but God doesn't say how he's going to do it. And then Moses says, God, do this, and then God does that and it's kind of crazy that god listens to his people and so we see even from from peter's story like he talks about he's not lied to men but to god and so ananias falls down but then when his wife comes up he basically he, he says like how can how could you agree to test the spirit of the lord look the feet of the men who buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out also and then she falls down dead and so you see the rep, the rep, repetition. This exact same thing happens to Sapphira, not because that was necessarily like the way that God was orchestrating it. We see God responding to Peter when he says, "The feet of the people that buried your husband are at the door. <clears throat> They're going to do the same thing for you." And that's when she falls down dead. And so we have this combination of. God's listening to his people. God also knows all the information. God knows these punishments. And as weird as this may sound, and maybe this will test and challenge some of your faith, but we're not given any indication as to what happens to these people's eternal souls, what their final destination is. We're told that they die here on earth, and that's absolutely dramatic punishment. It's, I can't say that like from humanity's perspective. We all know that to be a terrible thing. One of the Ten Commandments is do not murder. I think that's one of the ones that we can all agree upon, even people that are not of our faith. 
understand murder is not a good thing. But we're not given the, their final destination, their eternal condition. We don't know that. I'm not trying to say where they're going. I don't know. The text doesn't tell us that. I know that God's mercy works on a completely different plane of our own understanding. Because God's mercy was enough that he sent his son to die for all of us so that we can have faith in him and find life in him. And from what I can tell from the text, that's a gift that's freely offered to all. And so I know God's mercy to be boundless. And so I can't make any statement about the people on earth that God eliminates. I don't know what happened to Korah besides he got swallowed up by the earth. I don't know what happens to Ananias and Sapphira besides the fact that they dropped down dead. And I've kind of given a lot of different reasons because this is one of those texts that I wrestle with, that I'm not sure about, that I don't know the final answer. But again, I know that I trust God. And I think that's part of the point of these texts as God wants his people to trust him, to be fully devoted, to go all in for him, with him. And so we see God lead in these ways. And it's confusing and it's beyond, possibly beyond our understanding. I may not ever come to a, an answer that I feel fully confident and, and okay with. But I see a lot of different things that God could be doing through this act. And while I don't understand, I do trust. And that's one of the things that faith looks like. When I was thinking about how to entitle this sermon, because we, we always have our messages within the series have an as-you-go, fill-in-the-blank, and at first I was like, as you go, give. And I thought maybe we could talk about an example of how you're supposed to be giving as opposed to this ne negative example from the text of Ananias and Sapphira that didn't give fully what they were meaning to give. And, and there's definitely threads of that story there. But I think what I want to talk about is my difficulty with the text. What I've talked about is my difficulty with the text. And so I think the message for today should be, as you go, wrestle. Instead of running, ignoring, being scared of these kind of confusing texts, I think we should wrestle with them. I think we should try to use them as a good place to, to try to learn more about who God is. So as you go, wrestle. Wrestle with this text. Wrestle with the Numbers text or like the whole book of Numbers because there's a lot of things happening in the desert as the Israelites are wandering around and trying to figure out who is this God that they've kind of only recently gotten to know. They're trying to figure out who he is and learn who's this God that, that looks like now we're supposed to serve and what do we do? And so wrestle with the fact that as God does new things, he also sometimes has some really dramatic reactions to people who are trying to defy those good things that he's doing. Because I do believe here in Acts, God is doing really good things. His people are doing really good things. But they don't want corruption to take away from that. They don't want 
persecution to take away from that. So they pray for boldness in the face of persecution and the face of corrupt, corruption. They just shut it down. As you go, wrestle with this text, with future texts that we're going to come across in Acts, with any text that you find in Scripture that just doesn't quite sit right with you. Wrestle with it. And through that, I think we will learn more about God, who he is, more about how to trust him. And I think more and more we will see his love shining through, his mercy shining through, his grace abounds. And that's what I do with these kind of texts.